Welcome to the Grove Community Church Sermon Podcast. We're a faith community seeking to change lives, change our community, and change the world. And now to this week's message. We hope you enjoy it. I grew up in Montgomery, and a lot of the time in the, well, really spring through this time of year, we spent on a lake. It was either... Uh, Lake Jordan or Lake Martin and it was not uncommon for us to uh, go up on days like today in the fall or in the early spring where it was still uh, a little bit of a bite to the early morning air but you could get out and you could ski it might be a little cold but you could get out and you could ski and uh, my friend had wetsuits that we would go skiing in him and so anyway it was not uncommon for us also uh, to take off after school and, I mean, may or may not wait for school to really be finished to leave and go skiing. But that's a whole different story. My parents aren't here today, so I can say that. Um, you know, we might miss a couple of, couple of classes. I'm not saying that you should do that. I'm just saying what my experience was. This is one of those things that I ask for forgiveness for. Um, and Sam, yeah, a lot of time. And Sam Burroughs uh, was a good friend of mine, and I've actually told a couple of stories about Sam, and there are some stories that I will never tell about Sam and I. And we were up there uh, at the lake, at, at his lake place, and, and their boat was out on the pier, and we had been skiing, and we were going in to grab um, lunch or dinner, I don't know which it was, and we asked someone to tie the boat off, another friend of ours, and so they tied the boat off, and we all go up, and, and we look out, you know, after we finished eating and the boat's not on the dock, the guy didn't know how to tie the boat off. The boat is out in the slough. So you have to swim out to that boat, pull the ladder down and climb into it and then bring the boat back. It didn't take long. It was just a little bit of time. That was a day where there had been people skiing and people in and out of that slough where, where his uh, lake house was. And so, so the waves were coming in and out from the wakes of the boats. And so that boat had drifted out into the middle of the slough, and it was not a small swim, and we made the guy swim out and get it and bring the boat back. Just because he didn't pay close attention to tying the knot off. Today we're going to follow up with the last sermon series, which was a discussion from Hebrews 1 on who Christ is, who Jesus is, and why it's important. We looked at these different theological statements about Jesus. There were seven of them, if you remember. And then we talked about how those theological truths about Jesus impact our lives. So now we're going to follow up with that with this one passage that starts the next chapter, chapter 2 of Hebrews. And it starts with the word, therefore. When you see therefore, you have to ask what it's there for, exactly. Why therefore? Well, generally, it's, it's almost causal. Um, there's a statement that's made, therefore, here's something about that first statement. So this first statement sets up the second statement, and that's what's happened here. All that he's talked about Jesus in the first chapter, all that he said about who Jesus was, and all the seven theological truths about Jesus, because those things are true, 
therefore, we must pay close attention. Actually, it says, therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested to us by those who heard, while God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles, and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. So he's setting up an argument here, and he comes back to this idea that we finished with last sermon series, that Jesus is greater than the angels. It was also something that we started with in the sermon series. Remember, it was comparing the angels' message in the Old Testament. The angels would come down as God's messengers and say, this is what God wants you to know. And in Hebrews 1, he says, but Jesus was a much better version of a message. Because Jesus wasn't just a messenger. He was God in the flesh, and he was the message himself. So as much as you love the Old Testament stuff, Jesus is the final answer. As much as we have these revelations in the Old Testament, Jesus' revelation is greater. All of these messengers that came in the past were great. The prophets, the angels, that was great, but Jesus is better. And so he's saying here, because Jesus is better, we must, we must pay attention to how we respond lest we drift away from him. And he says, it's because, look, in the Old Testament, the angels came and declared... And if you were disobedient, there was, there was a consequence. And all the people who read Hebrews or who were reading the book of Hebrews or were listening to it as it was spoken out loud for the first time or read off, it was actually a letter as it was being read, they would have remembered the stories in the Old Testament where the people of Israel were disobedient and there was consequences to their disobedience. And so his argument here is if in the Old Testament people were disobedient to the message that the angels gave, what do we think about, gonna, what's, what's going to happen to if we disobey the message that the Son himself gave, that Jesus in the flesh gave? If there was a consequence to what the angels said, how much more is there a consequence to what Jesus says? So that's his argument. And he says, and look, this message was Jesus himself. It was declared first by the Lord in his person and in his works. That's what the seven things were we talked about in the last sermon series. And it was attested to us by those who heard. So not only was Jesus the example, but then his, his disciples, the apostles, they all taught us these same things. This is one reason why I don't think this is Paul who wrote Hebrews. A lot of people say it's Paul. It doesn't make sense. The, the actual Greek the, the, the way the Greek flows is nothing like Paul, really. And so some people say that this is a Pauline letter, but it doesn't look, sound, or think like a Pauline letter. And so we don't know who it is, but this is someone who didn't bear witness to Jesus. And we know that Paul saw the resurrected Jesus in a vision, right? Paul, why are you, you, know, why, why are you doing this to me? Um, so anyway, so he's saying, look, Jesus showed up and he gave us this message. And it would be one thing if it was just this kind of radical rabbi that gave a message. But then he had these disciples who said, no, we saw these things. We, we saw that it was true, and we experienced it. And if that's not enough, we've also seen how God has borne witness 
by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. So if it's not enough that Jesus came, and it's not enough that his disciples said, yeah, he was the real deal, we've also seen how God has sent his Holy Spirit and how he's moving in his people and their signs and wonders. How can you look at this and not say, this is the real deal? How can you not look at this evidence and say, this is the real deal? I mean, look at the signs and miracles. You've heard the stories. You've seen what God's done. You've experienced Him. You have felt the Holy Spirit come in your life. You have all of this witness. And yet, you have to be careful of drifting away. Now, there were a couple of things going on in, in this culture, or in this setting, I guess, more specifically in the setting that the Hebrews' letter was written to. The Hebrews were undergoing some sort of persecution. But not only that, there was a great Greek influence on their culture, on their group of people. So there was an outside influence from the culture, and then there was also persecution that we're going through. And so what he's saying is, look, guys, you live in a culture that naturally pushes you away from God. Not only that, you're persecuted for believing in him and following Christ. So be careful that you don't drift away. The culture will push you away. The persecution will make you silent and push you away. Don't let it happen. And that's his message to the people that he's writing the letter to. But is it not a fitting message for us? I mean, is this not a perfect message for us? I know a lot of people who have not taken heed and not been careful about tying off their boat. And the pressures of the culture and the weight of this world helps them drift away. So I'm going to dive into that a little bit by going back to the first verse here. Therefore, this is one of the only times it's used in Hebrews, this word, therefore. It's actually two words. It doesn't really matter. But therefore, it's emphatic. What I'm about to tell you is very important. Now, the other thing that stands out here is that just like in chapter 1, there is this alliteration and assonance that's going on within the Greek words. So if you don't know what that means, it means there is a... Um, there is this continuous use of the same vowels and a continuous use of the same consonants. And so it kind of has this meter to it, and it's very memorable. It's a really brilliant technique, and he puts together these words in a way that not only pass on the message, but if you hear it in the original language, it had this really strong, powerful hearing. So as they heard it the first time, they'd be like, oh, that's pretty brilliant the way he put those words together. Therefore, we must pay much closer attention. This is emphatic. The must and the pay closer attention are both um, active verbs that are present actives, which means they're ongoing action. So you could throw in the word continuously here. Therefore, we must continuously 
pay much closer attention to what we have heard. We have to take care of this constantly. We can't let our guard down. And the much closer attention is emphatic, abundant, to the extreme. You have to be intentional and you have to continually pursue this closeness of attention. Now, we know that when someone says, hey, pay close attention to this. If you're writing stuff down in a class and a professor says, just giving you a hint, guys, hey, guys, y'all need to pay close attention to this, you probably want to pay close attention to it. It's probably going to end up on a test. It's probably going to be something that you build on. If a parent ever takes a child and grabs the side of their faces and says, look at me, this never happened to me. Look at me. Pay attention to me. Look at me and listen. See my lips. They're moving. You must understand this. Anybody been there with a parent as a parent? Yeah, okay. Were y'all all that good? I don't believe it. You know, okay, mom's about to say something, and if I don't follow this, I'm going to get that hand not on my face so delicately. And it's either going to be on my face or, or my on my butt, and I don't want either one of those. Pay close attention. Guys, listen, look, be intentional to what you have heard, and that's how you anchor yourself. And now remember, he connects what you have heard with the person of Jesus and all that he did. Pay attention. Pay attention to Jesus and all he did. Pay attention to all he taught. Look, be careful about, put all your full intention into, be intentional about, and all your attention into who Jesus is and what he did, what he taught. Because if not, this world is way too strong of a current, and it will pull you away from the mooring. The drift away here can also mean slip, as in slipping off a ring because the finger is too small or the ring is too big. It has this idea of slipping away. When <clears throat> Laura and I had been married about, I don't know, how many years, eight years, ten years, somewhere in there, um, Laura's father said, hey, I want you to take me canoeing down the Coosa River. I'd been down the Coosa River hundreds of times, and I knew Moccasin Gap is a, is a little hole that you can actually get in there and play with your squirt boat or with your sit-on-top kayak. It's a really fun little place. If you've never paddled the Coosa, it actually has rapids, and it's just outside of Montgomery. It comes out of Lake Jordan. So I spent a lot of time paddling the Coosa River. And so my father-in-law says, hey, Todd, let's go do something together. That's one of those like, oh. yeah, let's do that. And he went and he got a boat, and we got the boat, and we paddled down the Coosa River. Now, if you've never paddled with someone who's not used to paddling, and you're in a canoe, the canoe sits high in the water, and it's a little top-heavy, well, let's just say we were a little top-heavy, and with Richard in the thing, it was, a little, it was even a little more top-heavy. I'm just saying... 
And we made our way through Moccasin Gap, which is the biggest rapid. At the time, it was about a, a Class 3 rapid. And we make, make our way through the Class 3 rapid in the canoe. And we just about get through it. And at the tail end, there's a little hydraulic that'll suck you back in. So a hydraulic is where a water comes over and it hits and it pushes down. And what happens is it'll create kind of a, uh, a little motion that spins like that. And so we get pushed down. Well, if you're on a sit on top, you can squirt right out of that. Or if you're in a kayak that's a full-on skirted kayak, you can play right out of that. And it's easy. You could spin yourself and all that. But not in a canoe. If you get sucked in the hydraulic in a canoe, what's going to happen to the canoe? It's going to fill and it's going to sink. And then everything in it, including the people, are going to be out of the canoe, which is what happened. We got it righted and got the water out, flipped it back over and got on our way. And we got down to our takeout point and I looked down and my wedding band is gone. It slipped away. It's, it slipped away in the middle of the chaos. It slipped away because I hadn't taken good care of it and put it where it needed to be in a dry bag. It slipped away because I had been nonchalant about what could happen on this trip. Guys, I fear that a lot of us are just paddling our way through life and we're unaware. We become so accustomed to the chaos around us. The culture is so prevalent and so pressing that we miss that things are just slipping off and slipping away. Guys, I think this is a shot across the bow to say, pay attention. There is so much going on that can pull you away from me. There is so much pull that, that wants to grab your attention and take your eyes off of me. And his warning is, if you're allowing that to happen, you're putting yourself in a precarious situation. It's not just about losing a wedding band. I mean, as sad as it was to lose my original wedding band, I could go get another one. But it's not the same, is it? A wedding band's replaceable. His warning is, guys, don't drift. Don't let the waves and the current of this world push you out. Don't let it slip away. Be careful. Take in this relationship with Christ. Take it serious and take it in to the very core of your being and be serious about it. Because the culture is strong and the drift is real. And I know because I battle it every day. All of us do. All of us do. But going back to the point of Hebrews, but if you find yourself at drift, if you find yourself having slipped away, stop and think of the goodness and the beauty and the grace of Christ. Recenter yourself on Him. When you think about all He has done, when you think about His great love, how can we not respond back to going, Oh yeah, no, I'm not going to lose my attention from that. 
When we really think about who he is and what he's done and how much he loves us and how he shows up in our darkest moments, when we think about where he's taken us from and where he's taken us to, that's one reason why I had you pray about something thankful in the past. Think about where you once were and where you are now. Think about how far you've come. Think about all that he's done for you. When you think about those things, how can you not respond by going, yeah, I'm not taking my eyes off of you. I'm going to anchor myself to you. I'm going to tie off, and if it means I get like knots that take me days to undo, I'm going to do it because I don't want to drift. I don't want to drift. And that's what the author of Hebrews is saying. I never went canoeing or kayaking with my ring on after that. Always put it in a dry bag and roll it up, click it, carabiner it to the back of my kayak. I guarantee you that Sam and I never let someone else tie that boat off. Because no one wanted to go swimming 100 yards out into the middle of a slough, climb up on that boat and bring it back. Let's take care. Pay close attention continuously. Because I don't want to see any of you drift. And I don't want to drift. We hope you found this week's message meaningful and impactful. And as always, don't just hear it, but put it into practice. Until next time, have a good one.